All right, so a guy by the name of Lou Gervais wrote a devotional a while back, and um, he, he does a little thought experiment. He says, I want you to imagine with me a church, um, or imagine with me this particular scenario. So the scenario is there's this young guy, his name is Bill, he's a college student. Uh, Bill has pretty wild hair. Uh, doesn't kind of dress up very much, uh, you know, wears, you know, jeans filled with holes, but not the expensive ones so that, that are with the pre-made holes. Uh, T-shirts that are, you know, pretty grungy. Uh, he becomes a f new follower of Christ. He's a new Christian. And on Sunday, soon after becoming a Christian, he decides, I'm going to go to the church. I'm going to go to the church right here across the street. He doesn't look up when it's starting or anything like that. He just kind of kind of shows up. Now, this church is a church that, uh, a church like many churches that where people still kind of wear suits and kind of dress up uh, a little bit for in their Sunday best. But he comes in his, you know, everyday, <laughs> whatever Sunday, worst, I don't know. And uh, he shows up and when he comes in, the church full service is well, you know, it's going, sermon's about to start in a couple of minutes. He's looking around for a seat, doesn't see it, but he Decides to walk up the aisle. He goes up the aisle, still looking, doesn't see any open seats. And so he sits down right in the aisle to enjoy the service. There's a, an elder of the church, three-piece suit, walks with a cane. He's an elder and elderly. And, um, and he sees this, and he starts making a beeline for Bill. Everybody in the congregation that is aware of what's happening is kind of holding their breath. <laughs> what's going to happen? The pastor is about to start preaching, but he's holding his breath to see what's about to happen. And the elderly gentleman, the elder of the church, comes up to Bill, takes a hold of his cane like this, and inches his way down and sits next to him. And the pastor says, you're probably not going to remember anything I tell you today, but you're not going to forget what you just saw. I think, um, I think just about everybody in this room, I would guess that just about everybody in this room uh, loved the ending to that story. And there's just about everybody in this room aspires to be that kind of person, like that elderly gentleman. Uh, what kind of... What kind of person is that elder in the story? He's the kind of person that isn't going to judge someone by their outward appearance, but he cares about people. And uh, he has created a story in his own mind of what this young man may be looking for, and he wants to reach out to him, not based on what might be perceived to be disrespectful or the way that he's dressed, but that he wants to reach the person. I think all of us aspire to be that kind of person, but none of us lives up to that on a consistent basis. We just don't. We don't. And there are lots of reasons why, why we don't. Uh, one of the reasons is we, uh, we rarely have the backstory. I mean, I really set it up, didn't I? You know, we know about this young man. We know he's a college student. We know he's a brand new believer. We know he's looking for something. So, you know, it kind of, 
uh, it kind of sets it up for you want him to win. You know, you have that, you have that backstory. You're not left to your own imagination and judgment to start thinking things like, is he here to disrupt things? Does he have no respect for the church? Does he have no respect for what's going on? He's interrupting the serve, calling attention. You know, all the different backstory type things that in real life, in our daily life, we can create in our own minds. Another reason is that uh, sometimes we do have the backstory. And it's not pretty. And so we know just enough to kind of put a person in a category and not treat them in that kind of, you know, in that kind of open, caring about them personally type of way. Um, but probably the main reason that we don't live up to that aspiration of being that kind of person is that most of those moments are really ordinary. They're not dramatic, you know, the, that was the other thing. I not only gave you the, the backstory, it was a kind of a dramatic story of a young man who comes and sits in the middle of an aisle. Most of those, most of those opportunities for us to care more about the person than about their outward appearance are just ordinary, everyday type things that have to do with walking into the lunchroom at school or at work and deciding who to sit with. Um, they're as simple as walking down a sidewalk and someone's coming toward you, and for a moment you look up and you lock eyes and what you do next. How you respond, whether you smile, whether you say hi, you know, all that sort of thing. Just an ordinary uh, moment. If you're in a position where you hire a lot of people, that's where it comes in as well. It's, it just comes into the regular hiring process and works in all kinds of subtle ways about judgments that we make about people based on outward appearance rather than on actual, um, the actual situation or actually caring about the person. So it's hundreds of moments like this, like where we sit, who we hire, whether we smile at the person that we're walking towards. Uh, all kinds of situations like that um, where we judge the person based on their outward appearance or how much does it elevate my status to be associated with this person or how helpful might this person be to me. Those are the kinds of things that happen. So we aspire to be, we aspire to be non-discriminating. We aspire to care more about the person, but we do get caught up on appearance, on color, on ethnicity, on the way people dress, all kinds of outward type things. Um, we discriminate. We play favorites. And if you're thinking, yes, and that happens to me all the time, I don't want to downplay at all because for some of you, maybe that does happen to you more than it happens to me or to others. But without downplaying that experience, I want you to think for a moment because you probably do it to others. And don't be thinking about how other people do that to me. Think about how do you possibly do it to others? So today's passage speaks to this in a powerful way. It speaks directly to favoritism. Favoritism specifically toward the rich, and discrimination against someone who is poor and powerless. And it offers three reasons why it's absolutely ridiculous for Christians to discriminate based on outward appearance. Why it is the, the height of hypocrisy for us to discriminate against people based on their appearance. 
And the three reasons are, are three really foundational biblical truths. Uh, huge biblical truths uh, that at least two of them are the kind that I think a lot of times in our minds we think these are important to know, important to have the right ideas about, but they don't have a whole lot of everyday application in our lives. But these are going to be, these are real world, they have real world application. We'll see that. And the three theological truths are the glory of Christ, the kingdom of God, and uh, the last one is the law of love as it's spoken of in this, uh, in this passage. So, we pick up in verse 1 of James chapter 2. <clears throat> My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, uh, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheme, blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. All right. Assuming, assuming that you do aspire to be the kind of person that doesn't judge people based on their appearances, assuming that you want to be like that elder in the story, assuming that you recognize that you don't quite live up to what it is that you want to be, what you aspire to be, assuming all of that, we're going to look at these three, these three concepts because these are ways that, that we can root out that kind of thinking in our lives, that kind of thinking that happens so oftentimes with us not even thinking. Um, so... Here's, here it is. The first one is the glory, the glory of Christ. James makes this point in, in a subtle way, uh, but once I've pointed out to you, not so subtle. <laughs> subtle way, but not so subtle in the opening couple of verses. So it says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must, must not show favoritism. So believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. There's a reason why he's talking about the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, not a term that's always, you don't always put glorious. Why is he saying that here? It's a contrast. He's creating a, a contrast. Um, you've got the glory of Christ, and then you've got the glory of riches. Follows on that. So believers in, verse 1, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose, here's the contrast, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, and fine clothes. So you got two different kinds of glory. It's an interesting move that he does there. Um, and here's what he's getting at. You know the glory of Christ. Brothers and sisters, you know the glory of Christ. How can you, how can you be impressed by the glory of a rich person who comes in? 
That's, that's what he's going to get at. Glory is associated with light and brightness. It's, it's a big term, and it, it covers a lot of ground uh, when that's spoken of, and that's not the whole picture. But part of the idea of glory is this brightness and this, this light. And, and so think for a moment, uh, this, is, this is the kind of contrast he's creating. Think for a moment of a light bulb. And let's say the light bulb and its brightness is the poorer man who comes into a gathering of believers and he comes in wearing this stained clothes uh, or filthy, filthy clothes as it says here. So he comes in and that's, um, that's the light bulb. Now, the poor man that's spoken of here, we know contextually from reading the rest of James, is not really a homeless person. It's not someone who is destitute. It's a day laborer. And we know from history that day laborers were people who worked from sunup to sundown and made just enough money. It's like, like this in a lot of places in the world, made just enough money to put food on the table every single day. That's it. You know, one leftovers for retirement or for, you know, uh, anything, for anything else. It's food on the table, you know, roof over the head, just simple, simple stuff. It's clothes on your body. That's basically it. They didn't have a day laborer in that day, would rarely have, uh, a, you know, Sunday clothes to wear for, for Sunday gatherings. Uh, so they're coming in with clothes that look filthy. They may have just come from work. Uh, on fields. They may uh, have just stained clothing that they just can't take out. You know, they haven't invented Tide yet and uh, all those other kinds of ways of getting it out, okay? So they, that's, that's the kind of person. It's a poor person in the community, would have made up the majority of the community, would have made up 98%, 97% of society at that time, all right? So, um, you know, no middle class to speak of. Professional class could maybe be close to our middle class, but you've got 1% rich. Just about everybody else is this person, all right? Then say you have a floodlight. Think of a really bright, bright light. Uh, think of a, a bulb in a floodlight, the kind of light that is used to, to light up a, a field at night, you know, a sports arena type thing. So think of, think of, a, of a floodlight. The floodlight will represent the rich person. Now, the rich person in that day... Uh, would not be like a lot of rich people in our day where you can't always differentiate them by their clothing. Uh, I remember one time I was at a, uh, back in Michael Jordan days, my cousin uh, took me to a game to see Michael Jordan and he pointed out a guy just a few rows ahead and he said, you see that guy down there? His dad is the richest man in Chicago. And I looked at him, and he would look like Bill, you know, in the story a little earlier. That's what he looked like. In that day, you didn't dress down. When you went in public, you were rich. You had lots of rings and kind of just how rich you were by the bracelets, how many of them you had. You had flowing robes. It was like every day you're walking the red carpet at the Oscars if you're rich. All right? So it's going to be stark, stark contrast uh, for them. So the, the floodlight is that really rich person. Now, if you take the bulb and you light it up and you light up the floodlight, say in a dark room or fairly dark room, you're going to be able to see the difference, right? And you go, mm, you know, big difference in the terms of brightness and lightness. But light them up in a 
full sun, bright, sunny day. And their difference is minimal to you can't even see it. Maybe if you look right at it, yeah, you can tell the difference. But if you're just kind of shining, shining, and on a bright, shiny day, you're not going to see it compared to the sun. This is what James is saying. It's subtle, but not so subtle. You know the glory of Jesus Christ. And yet, you're impressed by the glory of a rich person. Um, it's, it's, like he's, it's like he's saying, and the attitude is, and it gets worse, and James is like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This can't, you, you, it can't be. And he's implying even more. It's just by implication. If you're impressed by the rich person, you don't know the glory of Christ. You, you, you've got some... You've got some learning to do. You've got some worshiping to do. You've got to learn about the glory of Christ because if you saw the glory of Christ, if you saw the sun, you wouldn't be impressed by those light bulbs. Any light bulb, no matter how strong it is. That's, that's the point that he's making. And then James is saying this kind of favoritism, this kind of discrimination is just wrong. It's not just wrong. He says it's evil. It's, it's evil. Verse 4. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And it's not just the action of discrimination that is evil. It's the very thought that characterizes people in this way. It's that initial thought where you just look at two people and you make a judgment. That is evil, he says. That is evil. The glory of Christ roots out. It kills discrimination because the more we see and experience the glory of Christ, the less we are impressed by riches, by bling, by celebrity, by anything like that, by popularity. The less it's like, oh, that's the athlete, or that's the smart person, or that's the great musician, or anything like that. The more we see the glory of Christ, the less we're impressed. We can appreciate, say, the great musician or the great athlete, but we're not impressed. We're not impressed by it. So the glory of Christ, it's not some esoteric, something that's you know, just for worship services, for worship songs. Um, the glory of Christ is real, real everyday application in our lives. The second one is the kingdom of God. So pick up in verse five, look back at verse five. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, and to inherit the kingdom, there's the key words, inherit the kingdom, he promised those who love him. Has he not done that? And yet you dishonor the poor, he says. You dishonor the poor. James is challenging them again. He's, he's saying, do you really believe what you say you believe? Do you really want what you pray? Because you pray the Lord's Prayer for God's kingdom to come. He's saying, do you really want that if this is what you're doing? Because when you act this way towards people, do you realize you're acting this way of, of, of discriminating against someone who's poor or based on an outward appearance? Do you realize that you're actually discriminating against people who are going to inherit the kingdom. Do you know what it means to inherit the kingdom? 
talking about the kingdom of God that's going to come in all of its fullness at the return of Christ. To inherit the kingdom means you are a child of the king. That's how the scripture speaks of it. We're, those of us who are followers of Jesus are children of the king of the cosmos. What do children receive as an inheritance? They get what? They're, they're going to be rulers. He's saying these poor people, they're going to be rulers of the cosmos that you're discriminating against. How can you possibly do this? Um, Romans 8, 17 says, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Because we've been made children of God, we are co-heirs with Christ. So Russell Moore, who is uh, an ethicist um, and the president of the, of the uh, Ethics and Religious, Commission, and Religious Liberty Commission, uh, a few years ago, he was speaking in a chapel. Uh, he was working at that seminary at the time. He was dean and professor. And, and so he's speaking to a group of students. He's preaching on this passage. I listened to his sermon uh, a couple weeks ago. And so he's preaching to a group of seminarians who are all, uh, you know, working on advanced degrees. What he says, when you go out into your vocational ministry, you're going to be pastoring a lot of people who don't have advanced degrees. Maybe people in your church that don't have, you know, the masters and the doctorates and the, uh, the study of theology and all the kind of stuff that you're going in with. And so speaking to them specifically, uh, and in light of this passage, he says, the kingdom of God is dawning. He says to these pastors, he says, I don't want you have to realize the kingdom of light is dawning in a Walmart break room of people sitting around over a Bible, leading someone to Christ who, know, uh, who don't know who John Owen is, who don't know how to diagram a Greek sentence in their Greek New Testament, who like Bill Gaither more than they like Bach, who understand the gospel in what may be a very, very narrow way, but they are people who are rulers in waiting of the cosmos. There's kind of a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call that all of us, that's what James is doing. It's just a wake-up call to, to all of us. Maybe you've seen the um, little short film. It was before uh, Monsters, Inc. It's a Pixar film called For the Birds. And so um, you might recognize it by the, the picture. So in this story, there's this big bird, and then there's all these little birds. The little birds all land on a wire, and they're chirping at each other. There's no words spoken in this thing, but you know everything that they're saying. <laughs> and so they're chirping at each other, and this big bird lands on another wire or on a pole and, and uh, you know, kind of a, a, a big goofy smile and kind of waves at them like, like I want to be friends. And, uh, and they kind of look at each other, and they start chirping and laughing and imitating him, making fun of him. But he doesn't get it, that that's what's happening. He thinks he sees their excitement as they're laughing at him, and he misinterprets that. He doesn't speak their same chirp. So he, he misunderstands. He takes that as being they're inviting him over. So he comes, and he lands right between them. And then the wire goes, whoop, and they all, boom, like that. <laughs> so they're all kind of stuck together, and they are not happy <laughs> about this development. So one of them gets the idea of starting to 
to pick at his feet. And so he goes, whoop, and he's upside down on the wire. Now, he's almost to the ground at this point. His head is, you know, just right, right next to the ground. And all of a sudden they get an idea, and they chirp with each other, and a bunch of them all in the middle start chipping at his feet. And one by one, his toes, do birds have toes? Is that what they're called? I don't know. His toes start letting go until he's holding on by one, one toe. And all of a sudden, one of the, one of the birds right around here goes, <gasps> realizes what's going to happen <laughs> if he falls. <laughs> Uh, they are going to be shot into the atmosphere. <laughs> and so that bird says it to the next one, who says it to the next one, is like, stop it quick before. But it's too late. The last pick at his toe, and he lets go. All the birds, you know, in like in cartoon land, go, you know, eyes open, and then, whoop, and there's just feathers left. <laughs> and the, the big bird just hits the ground and stands up. And he's standing there, and all of a sudden, one of the little birds falls right next to him, featherless, completely naked. <laughs> and the bird's like this, and then inches over and gets under the wing of the big bird. And then all the rest of the birds fall naked. <laughs> and they're all embarrassed, and before you know it, they're all under the wing of the big bird. And the big bird is happy. He has made a bunch of friends. And that's kind of what James is doing here. That's what he's saying. See, these very people that you're discriminating against, someday you're going to be wanting to get close to them because these are people who are going to be rulers of the cosmos. These are, these are people who are going to inherit, inherit the kingdom of God. They are children of God. All right, so the last concept is a concept of the law of love. Verse 5, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are, you are, are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? There's a situation going on in this community. Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you choose favoritism, you sin and are convicted as lawbreakers. Now, there's a couple of things going on here that you need to understand, um, or you're, you're quite likely to misunderstand what James is saying, and I'm misunderstand what he's saying here, even misunderstand him more by the time you get to chapter 5, because I think it's chapter 5. By the time you get to later in the letter, if you have money in the bank and you don't understand what he's saying, you are going to feel really judged by James. Um, but what you have to understand is, is that James and Jesus also speak in these terms of rich and poor uh, in line with a long prophetic tradition about speaking about rich and poor, prophetic tradition of speaking to Israel and to the rich and poor. Long, long tradition. And part of that tradition is that God takes the side of the poor and he stands in the gap for the poor and the powerless against the rich and the powerful who exploit them. I mean, God gets filled with anger and wrath 
at the exploitation of poor people. He cares, and he is going to stand in the gap for them. Now, this doesn't mean, this is where you can misunderstand, this doesn't mean that if you're poor, you're good with God. Like it's automatic, you know, like all the poor are, are good with God. Uh, the reality is that poor people, the Bible's not blind to this, poor people also can exploit poorer people. All right, you can be like at the bottom of the economic ladder and you're still gonna, you, you can be, you may be powerless in politics, you may be powerless in your community, but you could still be at home abusing the smaller ones in your own home. And God speaks to that as well, about standing in the gap in that way as well. Um, there's always someone lower than you that you can kick so that you feel better. And if you can't find that person, you can always uh, kick the dog, right? Or kick the cat, which would be better. <laughs> just thought I'd throw that in. I, I don't hate cats, just totally kidding. Um, you can always kick the dog or you can kick the cat, all right? So um, th that, that's the reality. The Bible isn't blind to this. But when Jesus says, for example, in Luke, when he says in Luke, sp very specifically, blessed are the poor, that's it, with no qualifier. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not talking about all the poor. It's talking about the poor who love God, the literal poor who love God. It also, by extension, as you see the prophetic tradition, is speaking to the rich who identify with the poor. All right, so you, you don't have to be on the, on the outside. And so there's no, there's no virtue in being poor, but the poor literal poor do have a special place in God's heart, and not just in God's heart, in God's plans. In God's plans. Verse 5. Has God not chosen? This is the, the, this is God's choosing, electing to build a church in a very particular way. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? Last week we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right? What did it say? It says, not many of you were, you know, influential. Not many of you were among the rich and that sort of thing. He says this to the people in Corinth because he's trying to communicate to them. that. God, and, then, and then he says, why? Because God chooses... Uh, the way of the cross, God chooses the kind of people like you uh, who are not flashy for the most part. Um, God chooses you because he wants to confound people who think they're wise and people who think they're powerful because that's the problem. <laughs> that's, that's the problem of sin is that we set aside God and we say we want to be our own gods. And so he wants to go after that kind of pride. He wants to break it down. And that's why God makes these, these kinds of choices. Okay, so James says, isn't it the, the rich? James says, isn't it the rich that are exploiting you? He's not talking about all the rich. He's talking about the rich who are exploiting them, really exploiting them. Some of the members of that church are rich. Again, you look at that prophetic tradition, and it speaks to, it's speaking specifically to ways that rich, influential people can exploit poor people in only the way that rich, influential people can exploit poor people. Many times not even like aware because they just don't even care. It's not on their radar screen, the ways that we do that. 
So what he's saying is, don't act like these rich exploiters of the poor. When you do that, you're just, acting, you're just becoming just like them. It's like you're, you're one of them. And besides, when you do, you're not living the law of love, to love your neighbor as yourself. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. Don't you see that, James is saying. So we can be like the elder in that story. We really can, because we can see deeper than the outside of the person because we can see beyond what's in front of our eyes. We can see deeper because we can see beyond what's in front of our eyes. We can see the glory of Christ, which diminishes all other glories. We can see that. We can see the coming kingdom, which is gonna be a great leveler, an equalizer. We, can, we, we live for that day. We pray for that day. We see we can be different. We don't have to be. The more that we look for that day and what that day involves, the less we discriminate against people. We see beyond our own circumstances that we're in right now, whether we're rich or we're poor. We see beyond that. We see the example of Christ who is lived the law of love. So, what will it be in the lunchroom? What will it be as you're trying to navigate a new, like, um, you know, when you're trying to navigate some new friendships for some reason or another, who you choose for friends? What's it going to be when you're just passing by someone or, and, and you lock eyes? Is it going to be someone who looks like you, someone who uh, reflects what, uh, just on the outside, how you think people should be? Uh, is it going to be clouded by your ideas about ethnicity or about race, about any of those kinds of things? You, you can be, you can see beyond. You can live the law of love. We can because we have the Holy Spirit and we have the example of Jesus. We can be those kind of people. Let's pray.